before we get started with today's episode of Amped Up with Ryan Knight, we want to let you know that we have exclusive bonus content on Patreon at patreon.com slash amped up. You can find the video versions of all our interviews, as well as bonus content with me, Ryan's producer, Rob Bermudez. So make sure you check out our bonus content today at patreon.com slash amped up. Thanks for your support and enjoy the show. Welcome to Amped Up. This is your host, Ryan Knight, and our guest today is Jackie Poles. Jackie is a podcaster on the new Fred Hampton Leftist Network. Jackie, welcome to Amped Up. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited you're here today. I, I watched you on an episode, uh, I think it was last week, and I said to myself, I need to get Jackie on Amped Up. She knows what's up. <laughs> thank you. That's, uh, that, that's uh, I don't have no words. I'm speechless. Well, I'm very honored and humbled to have you here today. And I'm going to ask you a little bit later in the show about the Fred Hampton uh, Leftist Network and, and the work you guys are doing, because I think uh, right now, especially with how much power the corporate media has and both corporate parties have, uh, independent media is so important, and especially black independent media uh, like the Fred Hampton Leftists. Uh, but I want to start off and just kind of you know talk about where the country is. You know, Right now, we find ourselves living in revolutionary times, and for good reason. You know, we live in a country where the police get to essentially murder whoever they want with impunity. Uh, the corporations get to exploit the 99% to enrich the 1%. The banks get to take as much risk as they want because when they crash the economy, the state bails them out. And the military gets to wage endless wars throughout the world and plunder the resources of third world nations. So it is for good reason that the people are starting to rise up and, and demand real change uh, to our unjust policing system and our decrepit capitalist system. Uh, yet, despite the people rising up, Joe Biden and the Democrats, who now control our entire government, are doing everything they can to kind of ignore these calls for justice and preserve the failed status quo. Uh, let's just kind of go back to last year. Democrats responded to the largest racial justice protest in history with a symbolic gesture of kneeling in kente cloth in the U.S. Capitol. They ignored and continue to ignore uh, activists' calls to defund the police and shift resources into black communities and provide a true reparations bill. They also continue to ignore the calls for structural policies like Medicare for All, a living wage, monthly UBI, and a wealth tax that would help restructure our economy that is currently rigged against the working class. And shocker, Democrats' symbolic gestures aren't working. There are currently 140 million Americans who are poor or low income. The black-white wealth gap is as wide today as it was back in 1968 during the civil rights movement. And the police uh, violence epidemic continues as police uh, just killed another unarmed black man over a routine traffic stop in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. So my question to you, Jackie, is if, and I quote, black people are the backbone of the Democratic Party, then why are Joe Biden and the Democrats not fighting to, for things like to defund the police and shift resources into black communities? And why aren't they fighting for a true reparations bill? And as a black woman, do you feel represented by the Democratic Party or do you feel taken advantage of and pandered to? There's a lot of questions in there. Um, so let me start with, um, I am not a Democrat. I left the Democratic Party in 2016. I 
am I'm in California, so I am technically NPP, which is no party preference. Same here. And and I <laughs> go um, NPP. <laughs> I was considering joining the Democratic Party again just to be able to vote for Bernie Sanders this time around. And then it turns out that it didn't matter. You could vote for him as NPP. So I'm still not a Democrat. Um, I believe that the reason why so many black people are still Democrats is because the propaganda in this country has us believing that you have to be one of you have to be either Republican or Democrat. It is designed to keep the duopoly in place so that the oligarchy can stay in place. And so whenever you talk of even even think about a third party, people are like, no, 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 that can't work. Well, it can't work because we won't let it work because we're only it's it's like a circle. It's like it can't right. work because you won't vote for it. You won't vote for it because you think it can't work. And that's by design. They don't want you to think that it can work, which is also why I say well, we're never going to get ranked choice voting because that could actually make it work. And they're like, no, we have to keep it the duopoly. Um, as a black person, do I feel like the Democratic Party cares about me? No, they never did. They they never cared about any of us as just as a person that's not part of the 1%, they don't give a shit. They never mm. have. They're never going to. They are... The, the system is designed to maintain the status quo. When you ask, why isn't Joe Biden fighting for us? Because Joe Biden has never fought for us. Joe mm. Biden worked with segregationists at the beginning of his career. That's why right. would I think that Joe Biden would think that my life matters. He didn't back then. He did it in 94 when he was pushing for the crime bill when he had a son who was an addict, but he was saying, well, the drugs that my son does are fine, but the drugs that your kids do that we put in your communities. During the Iran-Contra affair, we found out that they were intentionally placed in the black communities. We put those drugs there. We're going to criminalize you mm. for the for-profit prison system. So why would I think Joe Biden would have would would care at all? Joe Biden is the one who spearheaded militarizing the police. So why would anybody say this is the guy who needs to take us out of that? He's the guy who put us in. And when I say that, I say I'm not talking about the eight years that he was vice president. I'm talking about the nearly 40 that he was in Congress. He was the Democrats version of Mitch McConnell for a good portion of that time. That's right. And everybody likes to just forget that and act like he's just this new guy that popped up like in 2008. And that's not at all. Before that, he was run out of the presidential race in the 90s <laughs> because he lied so much. Right. But now and everybody's plagiarized. like, we got to hold him accountable. No, there's no holding accountable pathological liar. So, like, my question is, why do people think that he was going to? Hmm. That's what I say about that. Yeah, I mean, and <laughs> so. I think, no, you, 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 I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, I mean, for starters, like, they, they do. They divide us into these two teams, you know, the red and the blue team, uh, because that's how they keep people hooked on the system. And, you know, it doesn't, yes, we do have elections in this country, but they're insignificant. They're really just sham elections because when the giant corporations and the billionaire class own both parties. It doesn't matter who wins the election. 
uh, because the billionaires win and the corporations win because they own both parties. So they know that whether the red team wins or the blue team wins, uh, they've hedged their bets. And since they own both parties, they know that both parties will continue to pass legislation that fa- and laws that favor the, the billionaire class and harm the, the working class. And uh, so you're absolutely right. They don't want us to think that we could fight for something better. They, they, that's how they keep us locked into this capitalist system. They also don't even want us to think like ever to think we could fight for like a socialist economy that works for everyone. Like that's just way too radical. An economy where the workers control and own uh, the economic institutions, the people who actually make this country run and, and, and actually are the reason that someone like Jeff Bezos has the wealth he has because they deliver his goods to market. And, and, and you know, they're the, they are who make America run. And, it, you know, there's nothing radical about the workers having more power. It's just the way the system is designed is they keep people down and oppress people and then demand that the same people they're oppressing, that, that they obey the, the very system that's rigged against them. And I think both parties use a, a similar message of fear to kind of keep their bases locked in. You know, the, the Republicans love to scapegoat and, and blame immigrants or, you know, blame uh, in marginalized communities. And the Democrats love to scapegoat and blame the Republicans. Uh, well, a new report was just released uh, today that uh, Wall Street gave three, uh, $2.9 billion, uh, spent $2.9 billion on the election and on corporate lobbying last year. And guess what? Just so happens the, the Wall Street gave more money to the Democrats than they gave to the Republicans. So again, it doesn't matter uh, you know, to the oligarchs and the billionaires. Uh, whichever party wins, they win. And, and so they keep us on this system. Uh, but And I think one of the things that I've kind of woken up to recently about the Democratic Party, because I left the party last year, actually, last June, uh, and I registered as no party preference in California. Uh, but so often... What's so deceitful about the Democrats is they kind of pose as our friends or they pose as our allies. And, you know, so often the Democratic Party gets away with using platitudes and optics and symbolic gestures to present itself as as like an ally of justice while it is actively governing to preserve our unjust policing system and our decrepit capitalist system. Jackie, does the left need to stop allowing the capitalist Democratic Party uh, to co-opt and destroy our social movements? I think personally that we need to just ignore electoral politics because there is no inside game. You know, we we were sold this idea from Bernie about the inside-outside. You know, we elect people on the inside who are going to create the laws, and then on the outside we'll put pressure. But there's nobody inside. So for me personally, I think it's time we shift our focus to the outside. Um, Going back to what you said about the duopoly being owned by both sides, Michael Bloomberg said that during a debate. He did. He just straight up admitted like, (laughs) yeah, I've paid both guys. Like I paid Republicans. I paid Democrats. It doesn't matter to me. Like that's why he ran as a Republican. Donald Trump was ran as a Republican. Everybody forgets in the 80s he was a Democrat. It's literally pointless. It makes no difference. They are the same people and they're friends with the Clintons. This is all performative. It's just, that's why I say, you know, it's, it's team sports because it's just like football. You know, when you're a football fan, the fans hate the opposite teams more than the actual players because the players are just doing a job and they don't actually hate those guys. They're all, they consider themselves like all athletes 
Whereas this, the fans are like, yeah, fuck Wisconsin. No, fuck the Green Bay. You know, right. So I feel like that's what that's exactly what politics has become. It's team sports. Yeah. But well, the actual players so- know that there's no difference between them. It's just us who are thinking like, no, my team is better. Absolutely. Well, and I think it's this moment, like we're seeing the great unmasking of liberal Democrats because, you know, when Trump was putting kids in cages and bombing Syria and, um, you know, protecting our decrepit capitalist system, um, Democrats were up in arms about it, right? Well, guess what? Now that Joe Biden is the one who's putting the kids in cages and (laughs) dropping bombs on Syria and, you know, protecting uh, our decrepit capitalist system, uh, the Democrats, these liberals are just like the same things they were outraged at Trump over. They're not mad at Biden over because it's somehow like if the blue team engages in corruption and 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 harms uh, marginalized communities and harms the working class, like it doesn't counter something like it just I feel like we're in a moment now where like it's such blatant hypocrisy. And you turn on, you know, MSNBC the other night I had Rachel Maddow on and I'm like, these MSNBC pundits are literally like the neoliberal whisperers like They're just there to tell these comfortable liberals that everything is quote unquote great, despite the fact that we have 140 million Americans who are poor, low income. We have 92 million Americans who are either underinsured or uninsured. And, you know, the black white wealth gap today in America is as wide as it was back in the civil rights movement. So nothing is okay in this country for about half of the country. Yet if you turn on liberal media, they're acting like Biden is some progressive person when he's governing just like Trump is like it's delusional it's gaslighting and I think it just it just shows that like there's an entire class of American citizens who it's like they're okay with injustice as long as as long as their party's in power and their party's committing the injustice and then they just look the other way and blame the other side it's so just outrageous to me it's uh yeah it it's infuriating uh don't forget the border wall which actually right. was not started right. under Trump. It was started with the Democrats before him. Um, the kids in cages did not start under Trump. That started under Obama. Um, the cages, I think the cages were built by George W. Bush, but they were used first by Obama. And with Trump, they just continued. In fact, some of the pictures that people were complaining about when Trump was in office actually came from before he became an office. So they were during the Obama administration. And when you say that, it's just blanks there. Like, yeah, like, but Obama was, was the good guy. No, there is no good guy. It's we as a country are not the good guys. Okay. I mean, I hate to tell you that we're not, we're the bullies. We're just, we, you know, we think that we're the good guys. Um, when you say when you give the numbers, like you say the 140 million that are impoverished, I feel like you need to also say out of 300 million, like there are right. only 300 million people, and almost half of them are poor, not okay, yep. but poor. So the erosion of the middle class is almost complete because you have people who are super wealthy people who are rich, a couple of people who are middle class, and then everybody else is poor. Right. And that is the structure of capitalism. It's That's by design, because in order to have people at the top, you have to have people at the bottom. And it's, it's a system of... It's a system of scarcity, because the value of something 
is greater when there are fewer, right? So like that's why diamonds are considered so you know expensive. But then think about diamonds. Where do they come from? Who gives you the who? How do you get those diamonds? You get those diamonds by slave labor, which there's always enough slaves. So the diamonds themselves are scarce and finite, but the people to mine them for free who lose their limbs in the process and sometimes their lives, that's infinite. So the structure of capitalism in itself is harmful. And socialism is saying, hey, maybe we don't need to mine for dimes for diamonds if people are going to get hurt. Maybe we can find a way that we can do it where people can get paid what they're worth and we can make sure that they are part of committees to make sure that they have safe working conditions. That's what socialism is. That's what we're asking for. And we're told we're crazy because that just, I mean, of course, Jeff Bezos is worth like 20,000 times what the average worker is. Of course. Like, it, it's amazing to me the level of propaganda that people genuinely believe that and will fight back. And I started thinking about it last night and I was like, you know, I'm not so sure I'm for a minimum wage anymore. Now I think that we should have a maximum wage. We should have a cap on CEO salaries. And it shouldn't be by number. It should be by the amount that they, um, the amount that they make over their, the lowest employee. So it's like the cap should be 20 times what your lowest employee makes. And that pretty much is socialism. And everybody's wages are going to go up because they're not going to want to be poor. So they're going to make sure that everybody, they're going to pay everybody more. So if you put like a profit cap, you don't have to worry about minimum wage. Everybody will make enough. Yeah. Because like I, I mean, saw something me, the other day that said huh. like if the minimum wage kept up with the CEO's wages that keep going up, the minimum wage in the United States would be $44 an hour. Yep. And we're sitting here begging for crumbs, trying to get to 15, which in California yep. is not enough. You nope. need at least 25. Yep. So. Well, and if the, if the minimum, if the minimum wage had kept up with the uh, cost or the price of inflation and as well as with the um, increase in labor productivity, the, the minimum wage would be $24 an hour. Mm -hmm. uh, so you just see that $15 is already the compromise position. It's already. And they like, don't want to give us that for five and years. They didn't, right. Which by then it should be 30 probably. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I mean, capitalism in, in and of itself, it's a system of exploitation. It, it's, it's, it's what it was designed to do. It's a system that's been designed to exploit uh, the labor of the poor and the working class to enrich the ruling class. And for me, socialism is just workers getting to own their work and, and workers, the people who make this country run, you know, you look at something like the pandemic, you know, it wasn't the billionaire class who made America, who, who made America run. It was the nurses and it was the frontline workers. It was the grocery store clerks and, and, and the gas station clerks. It was, you know, they're who make America run the working class, not the billionaire class. We don't need them. They need us. Mm -hmm. and, and, and this, and the relationship between capital and labor, you know, has just gone way out of whack where capital has all the power in this country. Capital, you know, the capitalists own both of the political parties, so they get all the laws written in their favor. And, you know, the working class has no power. And I am just a firm believer that, you know, that is for me what democracy is, is not a few oligarchs having all the power. 
you know, I feel like capitalism is antithetical to democracy because it, you know, it results in, in the majority of the wealth in a society to be concentrated in the hands of a very small few by exploiting the labor of the many. And for me, putting power directly back into the people's hands, letting the people own and control the economy, that is democracy. You know, socialism is democracy because when the people have more power, they, they have more freedom in their lives. Right now, the people have no power. They have no freedom. We are living in a country. We are living under corporate and oligarchic rule. And that is a direct result of capitalism, not predatory capitalism, not, you know, uh, you know they, they try to use all these words. No, it's predatory capitalism. It's crony capitalism. No, it's just capitalism. This is what the system was designed to do. It was designed to concentrate the wealth and give someone like Jeff Bezos $200 billion while you know, poor and working class people make $7.25 an hour and can barely keep their heads above water. That's what the system was designed to do. And, and the more we, taught, we deflect, the more it just helps these corporate parties who wanna keep everyone you know, fighting in the red against blue and finding scapegoats. And I think that's what the Democratic Party's good at. They're good at being like, oh, it's Russia's fault. Oh, it's, you know, it's the Republicans' fault. Oh, you know, their latest is, oh, it's the podcasters' fault. No, <laughs> it's capitalism. It is our decrepit capitalist system, which can, is rigged for the ruling class and against the working class. And until we change capitalism and move to a, a socialist economy, these problems are going to continue to happen. Um, I want to shift and talk a little bit more about policing in America. Uh, and, and kind of just historically, you know, the police's main function in America has never been to protect and serve the people. That's just what they tell us. Mm -hmm. uh, their main function has been to protect and serve the ruling class, literally to protect capital. Yes. And in addition to the class war, the police in America also have a unique role of enforcing the racial hierarchy and, 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 and waging this war against black and brown communities. And, you know, I think we need to be really honest about the Democrats because their new policing reform bill that they just passed in the House, it actually calls for more police funding, which time and time again has not worked. Giving the, the, the police more money does not reform them. It just causes them to be more corrupt. That is basically what's happened over the past two decades. And we see now that there's just no, I mean, it's just way out of, out of line. I mean, there was video that was just released this afternoon of them, you know, just killing a 13-year-old black child and, and, and who put his hands up and said, and followed the, instruct, the officer's orders. So it's like, there's no reforming this. Jackie, do you believe that the police can be reformed? Absolutely not. Um, okay, so a lot of people look at it as when there's a bad cop, there's, you know, a couple of bad apples. What they don't realize is the historical precedent of the actual police and the reason why the police go after black and brown and native people, because originally we were the capital. You know, the saying possession is nine tenths of the law. The police are there to protect the capital, to protect the people who have the money, the wealthy people, the, the one percent. Right. They're there to protect their their things their interests and when this country was started black people were things we were slaves we were not considered humans and the constitution 
are a black man's opinion only counts for three fourths of a white man's. So when you say it's one bad apple, it's not one bad apple. It's the roots of the tree. Mm. So you cannot reform that. You cannot, you cannot just say like, we'll give them better training. Okay. That's not going to solve the problem because their function is still the same. And they're still going to see us the same. And even if you could stop, get them to stop killing black people, they're still not going. I feel like the way the propaganda of the country, again, going back to the propaganda, is that the police are to protect and serve the community. But that's right. never been their function. So you can't reform them to doing something that they were never designed to do. They That's started right. out as slave catchers because, again, we were the property. So why wouldn't they shoot us first? Because we're runaway property. They don't see us as people. And it's really a few good cops who do see us as people, as opposed to the system is good and there's a couple of bad ones. The system is working the way the system was designed. So... I look at it, um, I'm going to get nerdy. Fair warning. Um, uh, spoilers for Captain America, or not Captain America, for um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode four. Oh, yes. I love this. <laughs> During that episode, at the end of the episode, um, the fake Captain America, the guy who's Captain America now, he killed someone. He murdered this person in cold blood. This person was labeled a terrorist, but he didn't do anything in that moment to deserve being murdered. He was unarmed. He had his hands up and he said, mm. I didn't do it. And he still got murdered by John Walker, who was Captain America. Okay. This show is exploring race and they're using this dynamic to do it. The reason I bring this up is because they are exploring what the shield means. And it's kind of like exploring what the flag means. It right. means different things to different people. There's a reason Sam Wilson gave up that shield because he didn't feel the country was ready for a black man to hold the shield. But there's also a reason Steve Rogers gave him the shield instead of just retiring it or just giving it to Bucky. He gave it specifically to Sam because he's the right man for the job. Now, all of this ties in in that it's like this is set in a world that's very much like ours, okay? The United States sees themselves, we were sold on the bill that we are Steve Rogers. Right. That we're the good guys in the uniform, we come in, we save the day, we're the moral authority, but reality is we are the John Walker. We are the people who go into someone else's country and we will murder someone in cold blood and then act like nothing to see here. And take their resources. Yes. We are the evil the, empire. Well, don't forget that shield is Wakandan tech. It's not American. That's vibranium. That's <laughs> why when the Wakandans stepped in, they easily took it from them. They just walked in <laughs> like, that's ours. <laughs> and that's why he was so just like, ah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I don't know if that made any sense. <laughs> Cause it I kind of went around a roundabout way, but, um, yeah, so to me, and, and I just want to clarify, when people talk about abolishing or defunding the police, everybody gets all up in arms. Well, who's going to protect us? 
The problem is the police aren't protecting you. You just don't understand that. That's right. um, I had all of my things stolen from me and I called the police and the guy who came literally didn't want to file a police report. And I live in the suburbs and he shows up and he's just like, I'm sure that the person who took your stuff is going to return it. He didn't want to file a police report at all. Uh, the next day I called another police officer. He comes and he was much nicer and he explains, I will go ahead and file this report for you, but I just want you to know you're never going to see your things again because we're not going to actually do anything. The mm. reason why that other guy didn't want to take a report is because he would rather just not go through the paperwork because the, the detectives who actually do the investigating will only investigate if you do all the work for them. If the case is essentially solved and you hand it to them done, then they'll actually look and try to find your stuff, try to find the, pe the person who stole your stuff. So a cop told me that. He was like, I'm, I'm going to explain to you why you're never going to see your stuff again and just get over it. And he was the nice one. OK, and then it reminds me of watching Dexter. The intro used to say 80 percent of homicides in Miami go unsolved. And I was like, that's an extremely high number. Okay? Well, granted, this is just a TV show. But what are we like? Everybody assumes that, like, if you commit a crime, you'll get caught. The police will catch you. And we watch these shows that are essentially just propaganda, these movies that make us think that like, oh, no matter what you do, the cops are going to find you. They have DNA. They have this and that. But you don't realize that DNA only DNA evidence only works if they run it. And if you're in the system, if you never did anything, if the person who does something to you is not in the system, it doesn't do any good. And if they don't bother to run it, it's not going to do anything. So a lot of crimes go unsolved or if they do solve it, they basically just catch that they find the first person they can catch, pin it on them, case closed. So that's the first thing. We have to stop believing the propaganda that like something bad happens, consequence, because that's not how it actually works right now in the first place. And in the second place, we have to realize that if you take the money the massive amounts of money that go to the police budgets and to the military. Yep. And you were to restructure that money into it's solving... a trillion dollars. By the way, it's, they give a hundred million dollars to militarize the police every year. Yes. Uh, and then it's uh, our military budgets almost at a trillion dollars. And then that doesn't even include the, the local police budgets. I'm just right. what the federal government gives police, you know, to, 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 you know, carry the shields and have the tanks is like $100 billion. Then you add in the trillion dollars for the military and local police budgets. And we're talking a lot of money that is spent uh, to basically oppress and, and you know, push the people down. Yes. Um, the, like Los Angeles. I remember last year somebody showed the chart for the police budget. It was like half the city's budget. Yep. Just for the police. And it's one of the worst police departments in the, in the nation. And it's like, are you kidding me right now? Um, so if we were to take those funds and use them to fund schools, because a lot of people don't realize that schools are funded by property tax. So if you don't own any property because you're poor, you get shitty schools, which means you don't get the opportunity to really get out of poverty. So instead of funding that, why don't we fund why don't we fund schools for example for example it gets me how like since the 80s 
We've been defunding schools left and right, saying we can't yep. afford it, we can't afford it. We have to take away the music program. We have to take away community program, like after school things, community centers, which, by the way, all of these things are proven to reduce poverty, which produces crime. Right. So instead of actually solving the problem, we're going to throw money at what we're told is the solution, but actually isn't the solution. No, it doesn't actually and it's just solve creating anything. more problems. And exactly. another example too is like they've been defunding healthcare and especially mental health and addiction issues, uh, which a lot of you know a lot of what officers do is showing up on things. And and let me just say is like a re- I am a recovering drug addict and I have over ten years clean and. I am just so grateful that I was able to get healthcare to get a second chance at life. Well, there are millions of Americans who are also just like me, drug addicts and alcoholics who just need, uh, you know, some some treatment and just need that shot at a second life. And especially in a lot of marginalized communities. And so this this idea that you know we should criminalize not just criminalize poverty, because that's one part of it, but also now in criminalizing blackness, as we're seeing in the police violence epidemic, but also then criminalizing addicts and, 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 and locking them up instead of getting them help. You know, we should be funding rehabilitation, not incarceration. And well, you so know you why see we it, do, right? Because we have money. for-profit prisons. Yeah, for-profit prisons, exactly. Prisons just replace slavery. Right. They get paid, what, 13 cents an hour or something? For yeah, right, to do labor. slave labor, right? Like, and yep. last year we found out during the fires, like the what happened during fires during the pandemic, a majority of our firefighters are prison labor. Yep, that's insane. Working for thirteen cents an hour. That I mean, yeah. that is I mean, that is modern day wage slavery. Yes. And then on top of that, you have a corrupt system that automatically, like, if you go up for something. Basically, you're going to jail if you don't have the money to hire a decent lawyer. So and they want it that way because they want the jails full. It's like that statistic of like we have, what, four percent of the world's population, but 25 percent of the prison population. It's by design. We're the incarceration capital of the world. Yes, it's by design because we have for profit. It's not rehabilitation. We don't care if people actually are okay or not. We want them to come back because it's free labor. Because like, as you saw, California is what? The fifth largest economy in the world. And our fires are put out by prison labor. Paying people 13 cents an hour. Giving them a slightly less, like a slightly reduced sentence. If you risk your life to put out a fire to save rich people's homes. That's capitalism. That's you can't reform that. It's baked into the cake. Yeah. And oh, I mean, and like you said, just so eloquently, like you cannot reform our policing system just like you cannot reform our capitalist system because these systems were never set up to work for the people. They were set up to exploit the people and enrich the ruling class. And capitalism, like like when you just look at capitalism overall, it doesn't even enrich the planet. It destroys the planet to enrich the ruling class. And the police don't protect the people. They protect capital and the ruling class. Yes. Jackie, do people need to stop being so afraid to move beyond these old decrepit systems that do not serve the people or planet's interests? Because it seems to me like a lack of imagination and fear of the unknown is holding us back from building a better world. I wouldn't say it's a lack of imagination. I would say it is 
really good propaganda. Hmm. It's been working since what corporations took over the airwaves, what, in the 60s, 70s? They've been working on it ever since. They've been in the, you know, they've been tied in with the CIA, who they're not supposed to be, but they are. And they're telling them how to manipulate people and how to essentially control them. Because here's the thing. If you control the information that people are able to see, and if you control the means of which people, the way people are able to think. So you control the education system and you control the news, which is why even though you go on Fox News and you go on CNN, if you notice, they may have a different, it's the same thing. It's the same thing we were talking about with like, Red pill, blue pill. They may have a different slant to the information, but you notice it's always the exact same information. And I learned that like when I was a teenager, I was like, you know, I want I like I had the question. I know what we learned about World War Two, but what did Japan think about World War Two? What did Germany learn about World War Two? And I learned that they it's night and day. And it's not just because they were on the other side, but because they don't have the propaganda that we have. Even Russia learned night and day what we learned about World War II. Because we were taught everybody was over there fighting and then the U.S. came in, you know, we rode in our white horse and saved the day. And Russia's like, hello? (laughs) Like, we're an entire nation that stopped Hitler single-handedly. But yeah, it was you. (laughs) You know? It's like, and England, like, lost countless lives when we were like nah you're good we're gonna we're gonna keep making cars <laughs> like where you use your resources and that's how we became the superpower and so it's it, when you control how people learn how to think when you control the information that they're able to get a hold of which by the way is why the democrats are actually worse than the republicans in this regard because the republicans are just like they're I kind of liken the Republicans to like the down south racist who are like, you know, they'll just say the words to let you know like I don't like you and you're like, okay, cool, you're racist and, and keep going. But the Democrats are the ones that stab you in the back because they're the right. ones that make you think that they like you and they will have you in their home and they will, you know, be all nice. And then in the end, they'll like murder you in your sleep. And it's like, you know what? I would rather the person I see coming because at least I know where you are, where you're thinking. I know where you're going with this. And with Democrats, like you can kind of figure it out, but it's basically just like overt versus covert. But if you noticed, it's the same thing. There's the same, the agenda is the exact same. So that's where I, and, and Joe Biden to me is far more conservative than people realize. He was to the Far right more. of Reagan, who was the gold standard of conservatives. And he yep. was to his right in the 80s. So I don't understand how people can think that he's supposed to be FDR, who, by the way, was only FDR because of the outside movements that were forcing him to do it. Yes, and that's because we saying. had a strong socialist party and yes. a strong communist party who were literally pressuring him. And, and he, you know, he passed the New Deal, which wasn't perfect and in many ways left out a lot of marginalized communities. Uh, but he passed it to save capitalism uh, and basically and to save the, the, the ruling class. But we can't even get enough pressure right now 
on the Democratic Party because so many people are gaslighting. There was an article yesterday from an MSNBC pundit that says this is a new progressive era. There, the, Joe Biden is you know, kind of leading this new progressive era. Joe Biden and the Democrats control the entire government and during a moment of historic levels of inequality, they're not fighting for one structural policy that would restructure our economy and, fit, and, and, and tilt it toward the working class or toward poor and, and, and black and brown and marginalized people. He is literally, the, the American <clears throat> Rescue Plan, you know, the, the, the best thing in there was the child tax credit. It's not even permanent. You know, it's not no. even permanent. It's only the, for six Giving months. people a one-time, you know, payment of $1,400 uh, is not going to 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 fix this decrepit capitalist system that we've talked about that can't even be reformed. You know, we need to move to an economy where, where the workers have the control and, and have the power and to a socialist economy. And, and so what you realize is, you know, with the red and the blue is both parties essentially have the same purpose. And their purpose is to do everything possible to stop any kind of movement to the left, to stop any social opposition, and to protect our decrepit capitalist and imperialist system. That is their whole job. And so for people to say that Joe Biden is this progressive president when he's literally not fighting for Medicare for all, he's not fighting for a $24 an hour living wage, he's not fighting for a Green New Deal, he's not fighting for a true reparations bill, he's not fighting for a wealth tax, he's not fighting to cancel $50,000 worth of student debt or all of student debt, they're not fighting for any kind of serious structural reforms. And then you have the squad and the progressives who are now turning into like gaslighters themselves. And they're actually defending Joe Biden, saying that he's progressive when they should be taking a bolder approach against him and fighting for the policies they campaigned on and demanding a Medicare for all vote and fighting for $15 and actually using their seats to advocate for the social policies they said they cared about. Instead, they've turned into mouthpieces for Joe Biden and now that all their stands are like attacking people who just tell the truth about what they're doing and how they're not kind of fighting for their policies. It's absolutely insane. And it's just gaslighting and propaganda to a level a thousand. What? You mean you're shocked that the senator from MBNA isn't fighting to give the little guy? He's literally the reason why you can't put your student loans in bankruptcy. This guy. But we're, we're thinking that that guy is going to be the one to fight for us. Like, or at least laughable. the progressives were actually going to step up to the plate and demand better and fight back against him. They're not I mean, doing any of that. They voted for him when he said, he said clearly and he said it in multiple interviews, if Medicare for all were to pass both houses, he would veto it. That's right. They vote. They didn't told us that we had to vote for him. I didn't. But Me they too. told us that we were supposed to because he right. was our best chance. Meanwhile, during the pandemic, when it first started, Trump just spitballing, just talking out loud during a press conference was like, I don't know, maybe we're going to have to expand Medicare or something. But then you have Joe Biden, who's like, no, nah, I'll veto it, even if it goes through. Fuck you guys. <laughs> OK, there is no pushing this guy. And they know that. That's why they're yep. not trying. That's why they've turned into the tweet squad, because they know there's no pushing Joe Biden anywhere. He's 78 years old. He's not going to change. But at He's least like, they could be they could be kind of revealing a lot of this corruption. Like, for instance, I pulled numbers the other day and uh, the healthcare industry and executives gave more money to Joe Biden than they gave to Donald Trump. 
That's why Joe That's Biden why and the he's Democrats not gonna, don't support exactly. Medicare for all and why they they backed off the moderate option, which is the public option. It's because, you know, the Democrats like to say they're the party of health care. No, they're not. They're the party of for-profit predatory health insurance. Right? We well, can't I mean, even get Obamacare a floor vote on Medicare for all. And the Democrats control the entire government. But I don't what I need is for like people who say like people like AOC and the squad who campaigned on these policies to at least use their seats to fight for them and to reveal the corruption in the Democratic Party. Because while me and you know what's happening, you know, you can't heal what we don't reveal. And the majority of the country and all of these kind of privileged liberals, they just think, oh, Trump bad, Republicans bad. And they don't understand that that just like the Republican Party is corrupt and serves the interest of capital, so does the Democratic Party. It's corrupt to its core. And that's why we don't have any progressive change. But they're not doing that. They're actually using their seats now to literally apologize for Joe Biden and call us bad faith actors. You know, when AOC did that, I was like, this is outrageous that those of us in the, in the socialist community and in the grassroots community who have the courage to, to, to reveal the corruption in the Democratic Party and to reveal that the Democratic Party is not a left party and that it's a right-wing capitalist party that governs just like Republicans do for Wall Street, that we're somehow the bad faith actors for sticking by our principles and fighting for the poor and the working class and for communities of color. We're the bad faith actors? No, AOC, you're the bad faith actor for giving grassroots donations to corporate Democrats who oppose Medicare for all and support the endless wars. It's just blatant gaslighting that I didn't expect initially out of AOC, and then I didn't expect all of her kind of fandom community to attack those of us who just told the truth about her. It's not like we're like making up lies. We're literally saying what she said and did, and they can't handle it. <laughs> um, I'm not surprised. Mainly because, to me, the Justice Democrats were an experiment. They were like, well... We keep sending people up there, you know, up to the government. We keep sending them up and then they get corrupted because the system is corrupt, right? So, okay, what if we send them up completely grassroots funded and they're beholden to us? Now, when they go up there, they'll fight for us. And she did for a good year, solid year. She did. I'll give her, you know, I will give her that. She exposed yeah, she a lot of what actually happens during that time. But then she was brought into the back offices and told like, no more. If you want to stay here, you're done. And for a while she fought back and then she kind of stopped fighting back. And that was when I was like, she's a Democrat now. When you stopped hearing her telling us what Pelosi was doing behind the scenes, it took her about a year and a couple months. And I was like, Okay, Justice Democrats are done. It's a failed experiment. That's why when she started doing that, when she pivoted to talking about her experiences and she stopped talking about her community, when she stopped talking about about Medicare, she stopped talking about Medicare for all, like entirely. And she started pushing yep. up Joe Biden's platform. I wasn't surprised at all because to me it was the moment she the moment she stopped informing us of what was going on behind the scenes, I was like, Pelosi got to her. She's a Democrat. She's done. And she was the most vocal. And then I was like, okay, maybe we still have hope with, um, with the other squad members, 
with I don't know why people thought Ayanna Presley was a progressive because I never really considered her one, but um with like Ilhan Omar and with um with Rashida Tlaib. Rashida Tlaib. I thought Rashida Tlaib was far more progressive because she was far more outspoken. And then the primaries happen, you know, the squad gets behind Bernie, everything's cool, and then there's that turn. There was a turn that happened around I want to say I want to say like so like July. No, not July. It was like around September. Around September there was a turn. If you notice the squad wasn't as outspoken anymore. Like cuz remember Rashida Tlaib was the one who was like, "Yeah, fuck Hillary Clinton. I don't care." <laughs> She's just like and they were very outspoken yeah. about everything. Impeach like, yes. the motherfucker. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden even Bernie, like there was the whole squad, everybody, everybody stopped talking about those things so much. And even Bernie started pivoting to my good friend, Joe. And I was like, it's over. Yeah. The second he said that, I was like, OK, there's no inside game. He's going to give it to Joe. And you notice the squad started talking about like that's when they started becoming the tweet squad. Like, what would this do for you? What would that do for you? And they just kind of kept going with that. And I was like, yeah, they're not talking. They're not pushing policy anymore. Now they're talking about like, what do you what what would what would two thousand dollars do for you or what would this do as opposed to we need to push for this policy or I'm going to push for this policy. I need you guys to help me. And and, yeah, because you're you're absolutely right. I mean, the only way to have to win victories for working people is is for the politicians who are supposed to represent the working class to have a clash with the politicians who represent the capitalist class and the giant corporations and the squad and even now bernie they're they're not they're resisting having that open clash and yes. right now capital has all the power labor has no power and and until we have that clash between capital and labor that's how change happens. Like you're not going to get any change for working people in this country if you're playing patty cakes with the corrupt neoliberal establishment, right? If you're just if you're if you're being apologetic uh, and, and and defending the Joe Bidens and the Nancy Pelosi's of the world, in order to get victories for working people, you have to challenge the establishment. You have to take on Joe Biden. You have to take on Nancy Pelosi. You have to and, and understand. I think AOC used to understand this, and the squad used to get this. They don't get their power from the establishment and from, you know, giant corporations and the oligarchy. They get their power from the grassroots, from the people. And that's what AOC needs to summon and the squad needs to summon. They need to give us a moment to get behind them and take on Joe Biden and say, no, we're not voting for this legislation unless you put Medicare for all in there, unless you give us a $15 minimum wage. Unless, you know, they're not doing any of that. They are just rolling over and not fighting back against the establishment. And it's honestly a shame because, you know, I think here's the deal. If you want to talk about bad faith actors, because that's what AOC called those of us who challenged Joe Biden. If you are campaigning and running for office and you're taking money from poor and working class people in marginalized communities and promising those poor and working class people that you are going to fight for them and that you're going to fight for revolutionary change in this country and fight for socialist policies, and you take the money and then you get there and you don't 
fight for those policies and you don't fight for the people, for the poor and the working class, and you start apologizing for the establishment, that is literally the definition of a bad faith actor. Yes. You ran as a leftist, you ran as a socialist, and now you've pivoted and you're apologizing for the corrupt establishment and you're not fighting for the people who gave you grassroots donations. I don't know how people aren't picking that up. Honestly, the problem is they're not afraid of us anymore. And I don't mean that in like a violent sense, but I mean like they there used to be a time when if you didn't like something, you could write your congressman. Like they in country music songs, they even say like, you know, I wrote my congressman and blah, blah, blah. Because congressmen were afraid of their constituents. They were like, oh, if I don't do what they want, they'll vote me out. They're not afraid of us anymore. Because now they know that they can just buy their spots. So they, they lost that fear. And she had that fear when she first got there. And that was why I was able to pinpoint the moment when she was no longer afraid of us. That's why I was like, okay, game's over. And it's it's the same thing. Like, it's same same thing with the rest of the squad. Bernie, I have more respect for because he's been in this game for a long time. Yep. And he's still fighting for us. Just he's he's kind of playing politics, but he does still fight for us in some ways. Like he's the way he's the reason we were able to get the extra unemployment aid, because without that, I would have been screwed. I can't live on three hundred dollars a week in Southern California. There's no way. But because he was able to because he added that bonus and he was one fighting. He fought all the Republicans single handedly for that. Yeah. And any little... he gave a, a raucous like firebrand speech, yeah, and it was amazing on the Senate floor. It was you're absolutely right. Yeah, any pretty much any incremental change that we have gotten has come from him being you know, standing up to pretty much everybody. And like remember when he was fighting for um he was fighting for two thousand dollars, and he stood up, and there were only like eight people that joined him, and then forty two Democrats were like no. Yep. It's so that like I don't I still give Bernie credit because even though he doesn't he doesn't fight like he's not as far left as we want him to be and he doesn't fight as hard as we want him to when he does fight like any incremental change is almost all from him like he's single handedly out of the hundreds of people that are in the Senate and the House together. It's one guy who's get a, gotten us anything for the yeah. left. So what? And I think it's, for me, I get frustrated because you see the Joe Manchins of the world and the Nancy Pelosi's of the world and the Joe Bidens of the world. They go to the mat for the class that they represent, you know, for the capitalist class and the ruling class. Yes. And so it would be nice to see AOC and the squad to go go to the mat for the working class and for the class that they're supposed to represent. That's what we sent them there for. They they have no fight in them. They have no fight in them right now. And it's like, Where's the fight? Um, I want to bring up a story that just happened actually today. Okay. Um, uh, just hours after Democrats introduced a new bill today that would expand the Supreme Court from nine to 13 justices, mm-hmm. Speaker Nancy Pelosi said that she does not support the bill and will not bring it to a floor vote. This follows a long pattern from Nancy Pelosi of blocking the most progressive legislation like Medicare for All and a Green New Deal from ever getting a floor vote in the House. Yes. What is the point, because we're entering a midterm cycle and I'm already hearing from people like, I know you left the Democratic Party, but like, will you support this one candidate? They're (laughs) super progressive, but they're running inside the party. And I'm just like, I just, I don't, after seeing what's happened over the last year, 
I don't have, like, I just have given up entirely on the Democratic Party. I believe that no fundamental change will ever happen if the left continues to just, you know, be in this party and continues this abusive relationship with the Democratic Party. But, you know, what is the point of people working so hard to elect Democrats if they're just going to govern and behave like Republicans? Well, that's why I said once you join as a Democrat, you've already lost. Like, you, you've already sold out. Um, that's why I love Nina Turner. But when I saw that she was deciding to run for senator as a Democrat, I was like, she's already conceded at least something. Um, you could run as an independent. They're an established party. Bernie was an independent. Most of the time when Bernie has gotten anything done, it was as an independent. He only right. ran as a Democrat for president. But in the Senate, he's an independent. And he gets a lot more done than any Democrat. And like he's known as the Amendment King. Right. But um, so that's why like I was a little disappointed when she decided to run as a Democrat. I was like, she could have run as an independent. They're established. Um, the Democratic Party is the DNC is, is far more authoritarian than the RNC. So when you decide to play by their rules, you decide to play their game and you cannot win that game. The House always wins. So that's, right. that's my opinion on like if you if you join the Democratic Party, you've already conceded. You've already you've already played all your cards. You have no leverage. And that's, you know, one of the things that it's was a big epiphany over the past year is like a party that says it stands for progress, like doesn't stand for progress at all. Like they, 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 they want obedience. Yes. That's what the democratic party wants. They want people to just conform and obey their party and to accept the little breadcrumbs they throw out. And I think what really makes them sinister, like you said earlier, is how they, you know, they play this kind of identity politic game and they try to appeal to marginalized communities like the black community and the LGBTQ community that I'm a part of, or, you know, to the working class. But they don't, it's not like, they're not governing for these, for these communities. They, 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 they pander to us for our votes and then people give them power and then they turn around and govern for Wall Street and giant corporations and stab the very marginalized communities in the back. And I think it is so destructive. Uh, and, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, there's a new report out this morning by CNBC that Wall Street spent $2.9 billion on campaigns and lobbying during the 2020 election. And guess who took the majority of that money? It wasn't Trump and the GOP. It was Joe Biden and the Democrats who took the majority of, of the Wall Street money. Uh, Jackie, are most liberals in complete denial over how corrupt the Democratic Party really is? And secondly, it, or how corrupt the Democratic Party really is and that it's just a party of, of Wall Street and one half of the corporate duopoly? And secondly, is it time for the left to leave this party for good so we can work toward building a party of our own? Yes. <laughs> um, just... In, in no uncertain terms, yes. Um, the Democratic Party is... The Democratic Party of today is the Reagan Republican Party of the 80s. So you're fooling yourself if you think that you are the left and you're a Democrat. Democrats left the left a long time ago. And actual leftists know that. And when I say actual leftists, because there's a lot of talk about this online of like, oh, the purity test. OK, there is a difference between like if you look at the Overton window, the people who are on the actual left are not the same as the people who call themselves Democrats who are where 
who are actually on the right. If you look at the Overton window, like look at the Overton window from like the 80s when I was a kid. Okay. There was a clear cut like this is Democrat. This is Republican. It's not that clear today. They're almost the same. Really, yep. the only difference is like on social issues, economically pretty much identical. Um, and when it comes to social issues, they're still not that different because Republicans have conceded a little bit and Democrats have gone to the right even. So to me... And any anytime you hear them, and I think it confuses a lot of people, not to interject, but mm -hmm. like... Because the Democrats, I think they sedate people with these platitudes and, yes. and they like present themselves as a left party and they say they care about the working class and, and black communities and, and, and the poor. Uh, but the truth is that's all just platitudes and lip service. They don't govern for them. They get power and they're not actually standing up and fighting for marginalized communities and for the working class. They're just governing for the rich and the powerful and giving us lots of platitudes. Well, guess what? Platitudes don't put food on people's table. Platitudes don't, you know, give people health care. You know, platitudes don't stop the climate crisis. We're in a moment in history where we're so far beyond platitudes. We need actual policies that will material that will improve the poor and the working class and communities of color's material conditions. We don't need policies. We don't need optics and lip service. But that's the game the Democrats play, and I think it fools people. It's all, again, it's part of the propaganda. Like, it's part of what right. people are taught. People are told that, you know, you go to college, you get the the white picket fence in the house, and you have the 2.5 kids, and you be a good citizen, and then everything is good, and don't worry what the government's doing, you know, we got this. Right. So everybody wants to believe that. We choose to believe it. It's like the Matrix. It only works if you have a choice. And that choice is the election. But the problem is the choice is bullshit because it's not a real choice. It's not like you have actual people that anybody who wants to get in the race can because if they don't want you to join, they'll just come up with bullshit reasons. Look what they did to Tulsi Gabbard. I'm not a Tulsi Gabbard stan, but it was blatant. <laughs> they were yeah. like, oh... Um, you have to have a delegate to be able to be on the stage. She is delegates. You have to have this many delegates and she meets that threshold at the last minute. You have to, like, they just get, they just keep moving the goalposts. Right. But they as soon as Bloomberg you... showed up with his billions, they let him right on the stage. No delegates. Nobody gives a shit. That's fine. No, no delegates. But, and they break the rules. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's no, blatant. Yeah, it is blatant. And I think like any leftist would be so like after to seeing what the DNC did to Bernie in 2016 and 2020, like this is why I just have a fundamental disagreement with anyone who wants to try to build power for the people within the right wing capitalist and imperialist Democratic Party, because watching now what they've done for two presidential cycles and how they have blatantly rigged the process against Bernie, um, they're going to do that in 2024. Yes. When, you know, if, if it's Kamala who runs, they're going to do that in 2028 when it's Buttigieg, you know, or 2032. They're always going to favor the, the candidate who protects corporate power and who protects our decrepit capitalist system. They're never going to give a, a true progressive or a socialist a fair shake. So why would we continue to, to, to use our resources and our uh, energy and our time to continue to funnel progressive movements and socialist movements into a democratic party for the democratic party to destroy them and to co-opt them and water them down and 
and, and, and basically just discard them. Like that's not gonna give us the change that we ever wanna see in this country. It's gonna be this insane, this cycle is just gonna keep repeating itself over and over again until the left wakes up and leaves. Like I think we have. That's the greatest damage that Obama did is that he he did good in that he inspired people into thinking change is possible, but he did damage in that he made them think only if you're a Democrat. And there are a lot right. of people who still believe that. And that's why I advocate for a general strike. If you're going to put your time and energy into something or your money, put it into mutual aid so that people don't feel afraid to not go to work to do the general strike or so that people can afford to not have to pay for Amazon or Walmart who have the cheapest prices. They can start to pay a mom and pop store or even just a, a corporation that's not going to rape the economy and make it so that we all die in 50 years. Um, I So I'm for for mutual aid in order to start a general strike because until we put pressure on the corporations, nothing's going to change. The corporations are who are running the government. So just forget about the government. They're the middleman. Go straight to the source. You have to tell the corporations you're not going to have workers if you don't treat them better. And until you do, we're also not going to pay you. We're not going to buy your services. That's how you have to, that, that's how we're going to get change. Yep. Yeah, we have to take our power back yeah. from these corporations who've just taken so much from, from the people. No, I absolutely agree. And I, I just think that, you know, people say, well, we're building third parties or building, you know, movements, it's a dead end. And for me, I'm like, no, actually supporting the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, that's the dead end. Yes. Supporting the corporate duopoly is the dead end. Because when both parties are owned by the same giant corporations and the same billionaires, it doesn't matter which team out of the red team or blue team wins because the people aren't winning. What you said is absolutely right, that Barack Obama made it sound like, like the, 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 a Democrat winning an election actually means something to everyday people. It means nothing because the Democrats don't work for everyday people. They work for the oligarchy. They work for the giant corporations. They just give out nice phrases and dress up their corruption a little bit better than Republicans. But that's it. And that's not going to help anyone. That's not going to change any of this. So for me, like that's what I've been using my platform for is helping, you know, movements. And, and I like that you want to build toward a gen, towards a general strike. I agree. And, you know, and I do think it's important also to organize the left around some kind of vehicle. And the only reason like, you know, movements can do different things. I mean, you saw the labor movement and socialist movements pressure FDR to pass the New Deal. Uh, but also like for me, Electoral politics is only helpful if we can use it as a tool to educate more people about why we have to move from a decrepit capitalist system to a socialist economy where the working, where the workers control the means of production. If we can get like people like Shama Savant, she is a, she is is an independent, like you said earlier. She did what Bernie did. She ran as an independent socialist, and she uses her seat to talk about Marxist principles and to talk about why capitalism is the root of the problem. I think that having an electoral vehicle that does that is great because the way the corporate media is set up and the way independent media like your, you know, the Fred Hampton leftist shows and, and my show, we just don't get as much exposure. And so if we can use electoral politics and build up socialist parties to, to educate people, that's fantastic because it goes in with the mission. Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right to not expect the kind of change we need 
until we can get a mass movement of people and something like a general strike or until we can kind of shock the whole system and run a, a candidate. Like, like I always said, if Bernie ran independent in 2020, you know, all you need is 15% to qualify for the debate, the debate stage in the general election. And if you put like a true socialist who's actually fighting for the working class on a debate stage in the general with these two corporate candidates, I think it, with a 75 million plus audience and you people in the middle of the country and for the first time in their life, they're getting to hear a message from like someone who's actually fighting for them and who actually cares about them and cares about this planet and, the, and, and cares about the people on this planet. I think that would could break through uh, because people are just tired of the same old, same old from these co corporate parties and something like that could be helpful. Mm -hmm. But it all requires us first leaving the Democratic Party for good because I think so much energy is trapped by the left and, and, and put on you know, candidates like AOC and the squad. And that is a myth. We're never gonna change the Democratic Party from within. You cannot move a party that is owned by Wall Street left. You just can't. That's like trying to move Jeff Bezos left, you know, or trying to move uh, you know, Amazon left. You just can't do it. The party is corrupt and the only chance we have is working outside of it. Yes. By the way, the only reason why Amazon workers get $15 an hour is because of Bernie. But he didn't That's do right. it as a senator. He did it as an organizer to get right. people to push, to put outside pressure, and they were forced right. to raise the wage. That's right. So, and you know what? I always think, I think, what if Bernie's, because you remember Bernie's Slack? There were millions of people in there. What if that had been turned into an organization for right. a general strike. We could have had healthcare. Like during a pandemic, if a country is not going to give its own citizens healthcare, then that's a fairly evil country. Like we are the villains. We're the villains, yeah. not just to the rest of the world. We're the villains to ourselves. Well, and the, the, the fundamental relationship between labor and capital is just completely off. You know, the capitalists, the billionaire class, they think they control the American economy, but they're wrong. Labor controls the economy. Yes. La the working class is the only reason America stayed afloat during the pandemic. The working class is the only reason Jeff Bezos gets his goods to market. You know, it's the working class who controls this economy. It is not ca the ca capital and the billionaire class. And, and, and the people need to rise up, take their power back from these capitalists uh, and, and let them know who, who does run the show. And until that moment happens, until we have a clash between capital and labor, uh, until we have that kind of revolutionary socialist movement, you're absolutely right. Nothing is going to fundamentally change. And we're going to be having these same conversations about Democrats stabbing us in the back and, and moving further right and Republicans moving further right. Um, I want to talk, you know, as we're kind of nearing the end of the time here, I could talk to you all day, Jackie. You're so <laughs> insightful. I, I love your perspective. Um, but talk to me about your involvement in the new Fred Hampton leftist podcast and why independent media and particularly Black independent media, like the Fred Hampton Leftist podcast, is so important at this moment in our country's history. Um, I think it's important to get a different perspective, because if you watch just MSNBC and CNN, first of all, how accurate is the information going to be from the people who pushed? It was all Russia. Russia did everything. Right. <laughs> Russia, the bad guys, they're the boogeyman, you know, so maybe get a different perspective. Also, those very same people during the primary were telling you all black people love Kamala Harris when like none of us did, like not one of us. Right. 
like the K-Hive is white women. I hate to tell you guys this, but like it is. It's it is. It's the hashtag still with her crowd. Yes. You see a lot of the people in the K-Hive it's the remnants, are former Hillary supporters. It is, it, that's exactly who it is. Because Hillary is the one who handpicked Kamala to be her successor. And that's why she's the VP. Joe Biden didn't pick her. He couldn't stand her. <laughs> she called him out on, on the debate stage. He couldn't stand her. But he was told, that's your VP because he's just a puppet. He's up there. He's up there basically until they get enough of them and then they're going to put Kamala in and she'll be president with zero delegates. She it was always, the plan was always for her. So, mm. um, I know that because they of, know she'll protect corporate power yes. and still kind of present a progressive face. And they do this all it's, the time. That's why they love, identity. Politics. Also watch out for Pete Buttigieg. Yes. You know, he's, he's a gay man like I am, but he's not a gay man who's fighting for the poor and the working class and communities of color. He's a gay man who's fighting to protect capital and to protect our capitalist system. Yes. And so, you know, that's why in, in, in the DNC, you fail up because the only qualification in the DNC is for you to protect capital and to protect their corporate donors. If you do that, they will rig the primary for you. They will appoint you and give you leadership positions. But if you're someone like me or you who actually wants to fight for the working class, they're going to have a troll farm spamming our tweets and calling us quote unquote divisive, right? Because yes. we're actually <laughs> fighting for the people who need help in this country. You know, like, and, and what really gets me, like just kind of at the end of the day, it's like, it's just, it's so wrong that the people in this country and in this world who like don't need any more help, like the billionaire class already has everything. They hoard all our resources, all the money in the world. These giant corporations, they don't need any more help. Yet they have an entire government and two corporate parties who are just sitting in Washington, D.C. and helping them and writing legislation to give them more tax breaks and give them more subsidies and give them more corporate welfare and, and help the billionaire class and screw over the working class. Mm -hmm. It's so wrong how rigged the system is. They don't need any more help, yet they have the entire government helping them. It's the poor, it's the working class, it's marginalized communities who need the help and just have no representation in our political system. And it's outrageous that these people have the audacity to call us divisive when we're doing the right thing and fighting for the right policies and fighting for the people who actually need help. Well, it's that's the PSYOP, right? Like, narcissists mm. always do that. If they do something, then they say... I didn't do it. And if I did it, it wasn't that bad. And if it was that bad, then you made me do it. <laughs> like that's, that, that's the psyop. That's, they're always going to do that because they're never just, what do you, you expect them to just be like, yeah, it's terrible. Deal with it. That's the Republican position. That's literally the difference between Republicans and Democrats. <laughs> Democrats right. do play the whole like, like, I didn't do it, and if I did it, it wasn't that bad, and if it was that bad, you made me do it. And Republicans are like, what are you going to do? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's as far as the reason why we felt like our voices needed to be heard, because if you watch MSNBC and CNN, they're going to tell you, they're going to give you a narrative. They're going to bring on people like Ben Dixon and Jason Johnson, and they're going to be like, here are black people, this is what they think, and you're going to that that's it. That's your perspective. And then Joe Biden's going to tell you black people are monoliths. So they all think the same. And that's not true. There are six of us in the Fred Hampton leftist and we don't all think the same and we're all leftist. So it we we decided that it was time for our perspective to be put out there for people to hear that, you know, 
the speeches of the civil rights leaders always get cut off. Fred Hampton, Malcolm mm. X, MLK, all of them were socialist. All of them. Right. <laughs> right. And they, if you listen to the next sentence after, like, go listen to, look at any quote capitalists love to bring up. Any quote, what's the next sentence? It's always condemning capitalism. They always cut yep. it off right before. And even during the primaries, um, Cory Booker did the same thing. He would just kind of, he would be like, these words from Malcolm X, skip that one, go to this one. <laughs> like MLK said this, this, not that, but this. And it, it's always this cut and paste of what they said because you don't want to get to the part where they condemn capitalism. Right. And which is the root of the problem in this country and in this exactly. world. Exactly. And they were they were classists in that not classist, that sounds reductionist, but they were they believed in class solidarity. And right. So when Malcolm X was, or not Malcolm X, I'm sorry, when MLK was talking about his dream where everybody would come together, yes, he was talking about racial equality. He was also talking about class solidarity. And that's the yep. part they always leave off. He yep. was saying, we all come together as one. And then they're like, yeah, rainbows and butterflies. And you're like, no, he wasn't done yet. <laughs> so we wanted to, we wanted to bring that out and say, you know, that it that is the history of black leadership in this country of the black movement. It's not just like we're not black supremacist. We're not trying to trade white supremacy for black supremacy. We don't want oppressors that look like us. We want everybody to actually be equal. Mm. So that's the message to me for the Fred Hampton leftist. Now you might want to ask the other five guys because they might have a different perspective because we're not a monolith. So. But that, to yep. me, that's what using Fred Hampton's name means. Hmm. Well, and Fred Hampton, he's, I mean, he's a big, he, he's a huge inspiration for me. And what I find so fascinating about him is like, he was a Marxist. Mm -hmm. Yet, you know, when Hollywood makes movies about him, they just gloss over that part. You know, he was building a rainbow coalition, a multiracial coalition in his community, but he was doing it not with like vague populism. He was doing that around a, a strong socialist program that would put the power in the hands of the working class, yep. that would unite white and black and brown workers behind an agenda where it's not the capitalists who have the power, it's the workers. And, and it's just so f amazing to me that our history books, you know, when I learned about MLK, when I learned about um, Malcolm X, they always gloss over the fact that they were anti-capitalists and socialists. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm so happy that you guys are, uh, because I think, you know, the left was, black socialists were the, were the leaders of the left. Yes. You know, and now we have these kind of, you turn on NBC, MSNBC, and it's like these black neoliberals who kind of speak for the Democratic Party. But it's so nice to see, you know, this kind of movement, this, this, this movement on the left happening where black people are taking their power back from the Democratic Party and saying, no, we're leftists. We're socialists. We believe in MLK and, and, and Fred Hampton's vision. And that's the same vision I believe in, too, where, like you said, it's about equality. It's about and it's about a lot of people, you know, as I've been learning the past year, some people will say, you know, OK, we have to make it about race or no, we have to make it about class. And I think that's a false choice. Why choose between racial justice and economic justice when we need both racial justice and economic justice? We shouldn't have to choose. We should have a, a, we should have a program that puts, that centers black people and centers working class people, right? That, that centers every marginalized group. And, and, and so I just, this whole idea that, 
of course race matters. Race is a huge component of it, component of it. But there's, you know, we don't discredit race, but we have to also fight for economic justice because the black-white wealth gap, as we said earlier, is wider now than it was uh, in the civil rights movement. And so we need to put money in the hands of black people. To, so it's, there's an economic component to it that when the neoliberals start talking about things, they just want to make it about race and not any economic policy that's going to improve the material conditions of black people. You cannot separate class and race. You can't because that's, again, that's how capitalism is structured. This nation right. was built with slavery. Capitalism uses, there's always going to be some kind of slave labor. So, and the reason why black people were demonized is because, like, just originally, the reason why we were demonized in this country is because we were seen as less than human. And that is something that was very hard to get out of. So in many ways, we're still seen as less than human, which is why we have to say, hey, my life matters. It just doesn't when it comes to this government. So right. you can't say we're only going to talk about class or we're only going to talk about race. Right. Because if you want to be free racially, you have to decouple from capitalism because that was the root of the racial injustices. Right. So you can't separate the two from the way I see it. And that's why people like Fred Hampton, MLK, Malcolm X, Medgar Evers, they were saying we have to get away from capitalism because they understood this is, it's like when you have a disease, you can treat the symptoms all you want, but if you don't treat the disease, you're going to keep getting symptoms. Right. And eventually you're going to die because you didn't ever bother to fix the actual disease. And racism, I see as a symptom of capitalism. You got to get rid of capitalism. If you don't, you're not really going to get rid of racism. You can just change the way it looks or change the way it feels, or maybe change it from black people to brown people to indigenous people to Muslims to whatever, but you're just trading one for the other. Right. So you have to well, get rid of capitalism like if you want to get rid of racism. Well, the whole system of capitalism is built on exploitation. Exactly. You have to have someone to exploit to enrich the people at the top. And so they, you know, it's, the whole idea is true liberation is about liberating all of us. It's about, and in a weird way, the other week I had a thought, like the people who are up here, these billionaires, like, are, are they free? Is anyone free when they're literally their entire identity and all of their wealth is based on exploiting poor and working class people. You know, they're in this system and think, well, you know, the more successful I am and the more money I hoard. But in essence, like they're not free either. They've allowed greed to corrupt them. In a way, socialism, it, it lifts up the poor and the working class to where they should be and communities of color. And then it brings down people who've been just addicted to greed, right? And so it, and in a way, it kind of like liberates all of us, even the people who thinks that they're losing something, in a way they're gaining it because they're not exploiting anyone anymore. Yeah. Like why should anyone have to be exploited? Until all of us are free, none of us are free. So why should we continue to just lie about this system that gives so much wealth to so few by exploiting so many people? It's just the whole system doesn't make any sense, but we just pretend like we have to keep it going and, and, you know, and they just divide us into thinking to support it. I would love, I would give up every last dollar I have for everyone in this world to be free and to be equal. And I just don't understand why people who have so much, 
won't give anything up for all of us to be free and to be one. That's what really gets me. And I've met, living in LA, I've met some of the, I've met very rich people. And it's so interesting, like after I got sober 10 years ago, there were so many moments like in my story in my 20s where like I'd be at like this person's house or that person's house or, oh my God, this person, look at this. And, and I would meet these people that had so much money and they were some of the most unhappy people I've ever met mm -hmm. because they had so much on the outside, but they weren't actually, you know, like when a tree in nature reaches its useful life, the tree understands there's enough sunlight and water for like the tree next to me. It doesn't hoard it all, right? And it also understands that like, oh, I'm gonna drop a little sapling. So like, I'm gonna drop some, some acorns so that other trees around me can grow. And so I can actually like start to help the earth and nature. Well, that's not capitalism at all. Capitalism, it's like, I need to have everything. Give me, where's mine? And then these people get so much wealth and they're not like the tree. They're not helping other people blossom around them. They're not giving back to the earth and to the community and they become dominated by their greed. And it becomes like an addiction for people. I think that this wealth hoarding, this, 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 I think it's an addiction, you know, and no one talks about it that way. But like for someone like Jeff Bezos to have $200 billion and there was a day in the pandemic where he made $13 billion in one day while poor and working class people and disproportionately people of color could barely keep their heads above water and are like, are, are eating maybe one meal every three days. It just, it's not right. It's not fair. And we don't have to accept it anymore. We can fight for something better. We can fight for a system where everyone gets to be free. That to me is true liberation. You can have no liberation under capitalism. It is a system of exploitation. It's a system, it's authoritarian. It, it, cre it leads to fascism. There is no democracy under it either. So I just, it's so interesting to me that so many people in this country historically have been anti-communist and anti-socialist. When I see socialism is like, the system that can provide the greatest amount of democracy to the greatest amount of people. Mm -hmm. Whereas capitalism, we're all living under oligarchic and corporate rule where no one, I mean, like there's very few people in this country who I see as free. And when I mean free, like get to be who they want and do what they want and have healthcare. And, and you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we are, we are all just, everyone's just working to enrich the, the, the capitalist class and to get just a, a tiny bit to survive. And then I think what's so sinister about it is the people at the margins and the 140 million Americans who we said earlier are poor or low income, they're the ones who have the most revolutionary potential to understand that they, it's time for them to take their power back. However, when you're just working to stay alive, it's so hard, they have so much to lose, right? They have so much mm -hmm. to risk by doing that. And so that's the way the system and the capitalists just keep pressing down on them and keep pressing down on them even more. Now it's to the point where people who are sick that are poor and working class are scared to even call the doctor or go see a doctor because they, they, they don't have enough money and, the, and they're scared of what the medical bill will look like. Mm -hmm. So people are suffering in silence. They're not getting help for their addictions, for alcohol problems. And, and, and it just, we're just at a point where like, I can't believe more people haven't woken up and just seen how unjust and how e truly evil this entire system is. There is no lesser of two evils. The entire capitalist system is evil and it has to go. I agree entirely, especially like you said, you know, living in LA, cause I'm, I'm here too. Um, you can go outside and see like Skid Row and right. then just keep driving a little bit and you're in the hills where houses are 
you don't we don't even know how much they cost. We can't even fathom like it. Like $30 you know? million. Dollars. It's absurd. Those houses are huge and they're empty. But then on Skid Row, there's like 30 people right. in like, you know, four feet, four square feet. And it's just like the the contradiction of that is insane. And then everybody else is just running around trying to go from one job to the other. And everybody's got these gig jobs that, you know, everybody's hustling. And we managed to allow ourselves to think that having just one job is no longer enough. You're lazy if you have just one job. You've got to be out there on the hustle. What are you doing after your nine to five to make it so that you can, you know, your 401k, psh, 401k is not enough anymore. Now you have to have, you know, you have to have this hustle job because that's what you're going to retire on. And it it's insane. Like we've, we've capitalism is an addiction, like you said. And I agree with you. Like I, the same, I've met super wealthy people and they are more miserable than poor people. Yeah. And it's, and not all of them certainly, but that's majority of them. Like when, when you know something when something as simple as like oh it rained today when that ruins your whole month because it rained today because you had plans and all you do is just go from one plan to the next because that's what life is to you that doesn't sound that free to me you know and but at the same time think of how awesome our society could be if people were allowed mm. to truly do what they wanted to do they didn't have to worry about putting bills, you know, paying their bills or putting food on the table or being able to pay to go to the doctor. Everybody could just live life. And if you were an artist, you were free to create. And if you were, you know, a musician, you're free to create. If you're an architect, like whatever service you want to provide, like whatever your passion is, odds are that's a service that can help the community. But you right. can't pursue that because you have to go to work every day doing a job that you hate because it puts food on the table. Yeah. And I think in many ways what you're hitting on, like capitalism, it's it's caused us to be so disconnected from, uh, from ourselves, from our true purpose, from each other, mm -hmm. from the earth. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think to myself, like especially when you factor in the climate crisis, like you, it's time for humanity and each of us to start asking asking existential questions. You know, when, when you see just how quickly we're losing entire species of animals, how, you know, the, the Great Barrier Reef is, is dying and changing colors, and, and you just see the destruction that the greed is having. I think so many people in this capitalist society, they don't understand that in order for them to have so much, there are consequences to that. Yep. The reason you have so much is because, well, there's kids in cages at the border, or, or there's, there's third world nations that are being exploited you know, for the oligarchs to be rich back here at home who sign your paychecks, you know, for you to be middle class. They're not connecting the dots to see how much suffering happens for so, for so few people to have so much. And, and, so there, and, and, and then just to see what we're doing to the world, it's like, were we put on this earth to just consume it to death? Nope. You know, our, our grandkids, 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 they're not gonna care that their, you know, their great-great-grandfather had a bunch of wealth if there's not a sustainable planet left, if there's no oxygen for them, if there's no air for them to breathe, you know, if, if it's so warm, they can't even, you know, they can't survive, you know, so we're just getting to this space where it, it's, if we continue on this path, I just don't see how more people don't realize this is a path to annihilation. Yes. This is not a path to justice and dignity for all people. This is not a path to connectedness and to, and to a, a beautiful, sustainable earth. 
This is a path to greed, destruction, chaos, division, and, and ultimately the, the end of humanity. And so I just, you know, I, I would love like what you said, if, if we started thinking more collectively, if we started to understand that yes, individuals are important and individual freedom's important, but so is our collective species and so is collective freedom. And so is the collective liberation of humanity. That is important and that can't happen. We can have no collective liberation when there's someone with $200 billion like Jeff Bezos, who's just oppressing so many people and causing so much destruction to have that amount of wealth. And so we've got to start moving into what's, what's best for the planet, what's best for, for the communities, not what's best for the billionaires, not what's best for these corporations. They've been taking too much from our earth and from, from, from all of us for too long. And I, and I just hope more people start to see that we can do beautiful things if we come together and fight to liberate not just ourselves, but humanity, all of us. I agree. And I think that like going back to what you're talking about addiction, I think that's a, a root cause of addiction is that we're not connected anymore. We were right. or you don't feel like you have enough. And so you need more it's, when it's like, no, you are. Yeah. Enough. It's amazing that in a society where we're supposedly in the information age where you have the Internet, where people who like you and I are in the same area, we're both in, you know, in Los Angeles, but. You can have people who are in India and we could be talking, you know, face to face like right. this. Um, you could have somebody in Japan and you can have a room with people all around the world and we can all be talking so that we could be connected. But we are more disconnected now than when this country wasn't here and it was just Native Americans communicating with each other one on one. They were far more connected together with, the, with each other as a community and with other communities than we are now. And we have this technology. And yep. in, a, in just a second, we can talk to someone on the other side of the planet. And yet we feel less connected. And I think that feeling that losing that the sense of community, that is what is causing people to become addicted to things. Because you feel disconnected and you can't put your finger on it. You don't know what's wrong. And you lack that purpose, that greater exactly. purpose. And I, that's why I feel like with socialism, we can get that back. Because when you can, like, not everybody wants to be a millionaire or a billionaire. Some people, most people just want to be able to live their lives. They just want to be able right. to go through their day and not have to worry about, you know, do I have like not have to have three jobs just to make it or worry about like I can't afford my insulin this month or, oh, my car, like, you know, your car, something happens with your car. So you're like, I can either get my car fixed or I can, you know, afford to buy my kid new shoes or afford to pay for insulin or what have you or go to the dentist it's like people are making choices like this every single day in this country. And we're supposedly the richest country in the nation or in the world. We're also supposedly the richest country in history, but we can't like our people, like almost half of us are impoverished. That's insane. And to me, yeah. I am actually surprised that people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk aren't just like randomly giving away their wealth and they don't want more equality because historically it never ends well. You know, you can only yeah. have this last for so long and then the tipping point hits Absolutely. 
and the guillotines come yep. out. So, yep. and we're we're yep. at that point. It, <laughs> so you're absolutely right. You just look through history. Every revolution in history, the the root cause is is inequality. Yes. Is when people finally had nothing left to lose, and so they have to fight back. Uh, for their dignity and to, and just to survive. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we're heading to a place where um, it just it's 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 unfathomable to, unfathomable to me that anyone in this country could accept the levels of inequality uh, in this country and also in this world. You know, there's now two thousand billionaires in the world, and they collectively they hoard sixty percent of the planet's wealth. They hoard, excuse me, they hoard more wealth. Those two thousand billionaires than 60% of the planet's population, That's which is equivalent to 4.6 billion people. So 2,000 billionaires are, hold, are hoarding more wealth than 4.6 billion people. I mean, this is an economy that's unsustainable. It's way off the tracks. And so, you know, I hope, you know, through platforms like this that people start to wake up and, and, and that is really how it happens. It's, it happens when people realize that, that they can take their power back. The, and fight for something better and fight for something bigger. And I think that truly is the, co the cause of socialism and liberation is understanding that you're not just fighting for yourself. You're also fighting for someone you don't know. You're fighting for your neighbor. You're fighting for the poor, the working class, communities of color. You're fighting for a bigger purpose than just for yourself. And for someone like me, that's all I want. You know, when I finally woke up, you know, it was like when I finally, you know, I got to do some great things in my 20s, but I was unhappy. And, and, and my corporate job, once upon a time, it didn't fill me up. I was miserable. I was actually suicidal during my 20s. And, and when I got sober, I realized I wanted something bigger. And this is, what, this is what bigger looks like. It looks like fighting for a better world and a world where true equality is possible. And I just, I can't reconcile the fact that we'll never have true equality as long as we have a system and an economy that is built on exploiting uh, the many to enrich the few. It's way past time to move beyond capitalism. And thank you, Jackie, so much. I just looked at the clock. I'm like, I kept you for an hour and 40 minutes. I could talk to you all day. This is such a privilege and an honor. And uh, I just want to end. How can people, uh, I really want people to go check out Fred Hampton Leftist. You guys are putting out great content. It's independent media. It's, it's rooted in leftism. It's not corporately owned. How can people... Um, uh, either join your Patreon to help out. I'm a Patreon member <laughs> of Fred Hampton Leftist. I want all everyone who's listening to go join. Like, how can people get involved? Um, we are working on a website, um, and the website will have access to like the Patreon and also um, working on a merch store, so you can support us that way. Um, but for right now, you know, just listen, share the list. We do Twitch stream. Um, we do our Twitch stream on our own stream, uh, Fred Hampton Leftist, and we also are on a network called VOP USA, which it started out as right wing, but now it's growing. So they want like we're the first leftist. So more are coming, I'm sure. Um, and we're also on YouTube, Fred Hampton Leftist. Um I'm getting ready to do I I do the podcast, like the actual audio podcast version um i'm getting ready to turn that into what's kind of a passion for me because i'm a nerd so um i'm doing i'm calling it nerdolitics but it's still the fred hampton leftist um but it's basically where i combine nerd culture and politics and i make it i think a little more digestible 
Because a lot of people are like, I'm not into politics. Well, politics is into you. So right. um, make it easier to understand. And for all the people who think like, oh, I don't, I want politics out of my comics. Politics have always been in comics. You just didn't yep. see it. So now we're going to show you. Um, <laughs> so that's what um, we're working on. And we just, you know, just follow us, share so that people can find us. Uh, we're on YouTube, Twitch. Like I said, the website's coming soon. And the Twitter account for Fred Hampton Leftist is what? At Fred Hampton Left? I think it's at Fred Hampton Left, yeah. Um, almost everything. And what's your Twitter we're account? On, we're on Twitter, TikTok, like Instagram, Facebook, um, everything. If you just search Fred Hampton Leftist on any of it, you'll find we're the first ones. Amazing. And finally, what is your Twitter account so people can follow My you? Twitter is at Pulse Jackie because I'm very original. And so it's just my name. <laughs> love it well jackie thank you so much for this conversation today i treasure it this was a joy and sorry i kept you so long oh, i didn't no, realize i looked at the clock and uh but I, I i got so much out of it and i'm just grateful for you and the work and the advocacy that you do and please everyone go support fred hampton leftists they're awesome uh we also had uh we had nick on the program and so i you know i want to have more of you guys on and I, I know I'm doing a podcast with you next week. Yes. So uh, I'll let people know about that later, but uh, thank you so much, Jackie. Thank you for listening to another episode of Amped Up with Ryan Knight. And before we go, I wanna take this moment to thank our benefactors who contribute uh, $20 a month to the show uh, to keep this show alive and going. So I wanna thank Kenny Ballantyne, Tyler Sambucci, Nate Tocito, Lloyd Chapman, Ed Romo, John Littman, John Paul DeLuca, Susan Sarandon, DJ Comatos, Patty Cleary, and Elizabeth Kim. Thank you so much for your generous donations. And thank you, everyone, for supporting the podcast and supporting my work. I really appreciate it. Uh, again, go to patreon.com slash amped up if you want to support the podcast as well. And for as little as $5 a month, you'll get access to our bonus content. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll catch you next week with an all-new episode of Amped Up with Ryan Knight.